0: This week on the Back Table Podcast.
1: There, it was so obvious because there was no IR. So obviously, we had to go talk to the surgeons, talk to the nephrologists, talk to the emergency physicians, explain to them really what is IR, what can we add. Same thing with reaching out to patients and saying we can do uterine fibroid embolization through the wrist. You don't need to have an open surgery. You don't need to have a hysterectomy. We kind of assume because we went through all the training that. Everyone should know what IR is, at least every doctor should know what IR is. But this is not the case, right? So we really need to do more outreach to the community. We need to tell patients what we can do. We need to explain to other physicians what we can do because we can really add so much and it's really a lost opportunity if patients and, and other physicians don't know about our capacities.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. Now, a brief message from our sponsor. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman crossing catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs, the Specs LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the SPECS shapeable support catheter, and the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Radpad was developed by physicians for physicians, clinically proven radiation protection during Cine and digital subtraction and geography. Don't bet your career or your health on anything less. Trust RADPAD radiation protection shields for all your fluoro-guided interventions. See RADPAD.com for more information and contact info at RADPAD.com for a free radiation evaluation and a no-brainer radiation protection cap. And don't forget to tell them that you heard about it on the Backtable Podcast. Now, back to the episode.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast. My name is Isabel Newton, and I am really excited to have this opportunity to guest host this episode on Road to IR with my friends and colleagues, Dr. Janice Newsom, Dr. Judy Gichoya and Dr. Fabian Lauge-Gaup. The idea for this podcast came as my colleagues and I were talking with you guys in preparation for our first trip to Tanzania to volunteer for Road to IR and to film for Without a Scalpel. And we realized that this story has evolved so much since episode 104 of Table that Fabian did on January 4th of 2021 that we thought it was time for another one. But before we delve into all of that, I'd like to introduce our guests. Dr. Janice Newsom is an IR dedicated to developing innovative treatments and advancing medical education. She joined Emory University School of Medicine after 15 years of private practice in Virginia and is now an associate professor with a focus on health equity and improving maternal morbidity and mortality. Dr. Newsom is actively involved in SIR. She co-edits techniques in Vascular and Interventional Radiology Journal and she is a leader in the Road to IR Foundation and the training program in Tanzania to improve global health equity through education and outreach. Dr. Newsom is also a wife and a mother who believes in the power of hard work and service to others. Dr. Judy Gichoya is an assistant professor of IR and informatics at Emory University. Her career focuses on validating machine learning models for health in real clinical settings, exploring explainability, fairness, and a specific focus on how algorithms fail. She is heavily invested in training the next generation of data scientists through multiple high school programs, serving as the program director for Radiology AI Trainee Editorial Board and the medical students' machine learning elective. Dr. Fabian Laugate-Gaup is an assistant professor at Yale University, where he specializes in men's and women's health, offering minimally invasive treatments for BPH and uterine fibroids. He is one of the co-founders of Road to IR. Road to IR is an international consortium led by Yale, Emory, Muhumbili University of Health and Allied Sciences, which is abbreviated MUHAS in Tanzania, and other institutions in North America and Europe. Road to IR has successfully established the first accredited IR training program in sub-Saharan Africa. In 2020, the program was awarded an rsna r Foundation Derek Harwood Nash International Education Scholar Grant, and NUHAS was selected as the world's second RSNA global learning center. The program now serves as a blueprint for partner programs in Rwanda and Uganda aiming to bring minimally invasive IR procedures to more patients in East Africa and beyond. So guys, Road to IR is an incredible success story in bringing IR to East Africa, but also a story of how a group of people came together and turned a great idea into something tangible and impactful. It's truly remarkable, and I'm hoping we can explore how you turned idea into action. So let's begin with, how did the idea for Road to IR originate? Should I start? That's you, Fabian.
1: All right. So, um... It's a while ago now, so I mean, thinking back, it was 2017, so uh, I guess at this point almost uh, six years ago, when I went to visit Tanzania with my uh, friend and mentor, Frank Minja, who was a neuroradiologist at Yale at the time. And uh, so he took me to Tanzania when I was a second-year diagnostic resident, and uh, my goal was to see what is the status of uh, intervention radiology in Tanzania. So I went there and I met uh, three really nice um, diagnostic residents, also at the time, a second year residents from Tanzania, Eric, uh, Ivan, and Aza. And together we did this um, readiness assessment to see what is the status of IR and if there is none, what can we do about it? And what we found essentially is that all of the pieces or most of the pieces you need to do interventional radiology are already in place. So there was a diagnostic radiology training program with up to 20 residents per year. There was CT available. There was ultrasound available. There was fluoroscopy available. But what wasn't available was the actual training. So that's when we decided to try to form a group and start interventional radiology training in Tanzania, and uh, so the, the start of Road to IR is really a WhatsApp group. Ivan is the one that came up with the name, and uh, so when I was leaving Tanzania and we were driving back to the airport, uh, Frank and I were, were discussing what, what can we do about it, and we said, "Okay, we'll, we'll just try to really go full force ahead, and we'll we'll uh, try to start IR training in Tanzania," and and that's what we did the following year.
2: That's amazing. Does that? Do any of you have something to add? No, not really. I, I think that um, you know. FLG,
3: as I will call him from now on, um, is um, a propeller rocket ship to any idea. So your question, you know, is like, how does an idea uh, become what we have uh, right now? I think um, it was a already a novel idea, um, a noble idea, an idea uh, whose time had to meet a moment and a moment met a man or men at the time and then you had the, the hearts of the people that were there in Tanzania prepared. And that's, that's,
2: where, that's how it got started. That's amazing. What got each of you interested in global health to begin with?
4: So uh, my journey to Emory is very different. And uh, I actually went to medical school in Kenya. I grew up in Kenya. So I think, you know, obviously, like many, many things that I've learned You know, in my last 10 years here in the U.S., it's mainly around terminology. I didn't even know what my daily life was, was what's called global health. But I knew that uh, there was a lot of concern for physicians like myself leaving Kenya, but I had a passion to always do radiology and informatics. And so when I'd quite done a lot of work uh, in, you know, global health around informatics work, but I realized that if you're not a physician, that you got, to, or any form of clinician, you got too far removed from the real world setting. And so when I chose my specialty and um, I was thinking about my skills, I thought that the fascination, and even in my personal statement as I applied for residency, it was always how long it took to get access to care. So this I felt like the best way to make an impact, although I, I see myself as not like all. Oh, When you think about sometimes global health work, it comes out as mission work. Uh, But I just think this of myself as taking care of my family and making sure that my mother and a lot of my family still live in East Africa can get the best access of care, which remains a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I I don't
3: know that I have that much, much more to add, but... um... You know, I'm from Jamaica originally, and you know, I too kind of struggled with you know, the terminology global health, right? Because when you're doing what is called global health in your in your mind, um before it was in this organized fashion uh, in road to IR, you're just doing what you can to take care of your aunties, uncles, families, you know, wherever uh, uh, wherever they are in in Jamaica. and, you know, even in Eastern Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, some of my work in Ethiopia, in uh, in Israel, even beforehand, uh, you know, I didn't really consider that that, that same terminology, global health is just, again, doing what we can do, not exactly at Emory or wherever you are, just somewhere else, you know, but I've come to understand that it is not just mission work right and which makes what we're doing here and we're here to talk about so much more exciting right it is not just doing um you know helicopter mission work
1: yeah very similar for me i think um you know most physicians really have the goal of of helping as many patients as we can and uh, the fact of the matter is that in sub-saharan africa in particular but also in many other regions of the world there's a really severe lack of access to care and that applies in particular to radiology and intervention radiology. So for me personally, I just think that the impact that every single physician can have is very much amplified in these settings. And, you know, I'm just happy to contribute in, in whichever way I can.
2: So uh, you guys all alluded to this kind of tension between the concept of the missionary um, experience, kind of swooping in, donating something, giving something to a needy population, but it's not sustainable. And that's kind of the magic behind what you've been able to do. You are creating something that is lasting and that is going to catalyze real substantial change over time. So Fabian, in episode 104, which if you know, the listeners haven't listened to this um, yet, you absolutely have to. It's fantastic. And it gives a lot of the background that we're not going to go over in this episode. But you mentioned that IR in Tanzania was like it was in the U.S. in the 70s. And indeed, this has been a remarkable opportunity to develop IR in a calculated and intentional way. So having said that, where do you think it is now? And how do you think the benefit of hindsight has helped everyone get to where we are now in road tire so fast
1: well so as, as i said and uh, in the prior episode those early years in tanzania were really required a lot of flexibility and a lot of patience also because we didn't have access to all the resources we needed immediately as i said you know in terms of imaging equipment most were already available but what was not available in addition to training was really the disposable equipment so we had to you know really come up with with ways to try to compensate for that and in the beginning when we started it was really just very basic procedures so mostly corneal biopsies abscess drainages nephrostomies biliary drains and it took time to then step by step get to a point that is you know now much closer to what we have in the United States so at this point um we're now almost six years after starting the program. we can essentially provide the, the full spectrum of IR with very few exceptions. so we're not doing Y90, but we can do tips, we can do taste, we do pediatric IR, um, we do vascular procedures. so it's really we've really come a, a long way and the only way this was really possible is by a lot of amazing people investing their time, so all of the the mentors that myself eric Aza, ivan and all the other trainees that came after them had, have had, had have really made this possible so we've had mentors like of course dr newsom dr charles Sonika San- from south africa so many people from all over the world really invest their time and and get the program to where it is now so it's really um it's really been quite quite amazing actually how far how fast things progressed and it's only been possible because so many people invest their time and their and their passion into this.
2: So what I'm hearing you say is that um, the fast forward button was really about good, strong mentors guiding the ship in in the correct direction. Um, which you know, as IR was sort of organically developing the past, there were leaders, but you know they were sort of making it up as they went along. So you are you have this opportunity to really intentionally choose the parts that are wins, right, and implement them. Exactly. I think I think that Fabian is also being very modest. <laughs> uh, and this is
4: because if I had to ask all these people to travel, I would also feel the same. But I would say that really what was the path and just that evolution is really the passion and the belief in the very very mentors and the the three trainees uh Ivan Aza, and Eric for you, imagine for you to believe in training in something that you've never even seen, never even imagined. And to believe that you're going to actually spend time away from your family, make less money, you know, you you don't even have a catheter, you don't even have a nurse, you don't have a nurse navigator to call anyone for you. And to believe that the, the words of Fabian and the words of the alimenters that they would see you through, I think cannot be underestimated. And it's that passion, even during the tough times that have been since episode four to now, including COVID and disruptions of travel that have been, I think, that have sustained. It's really those three individuals. The other thing is also the frugality of, I would say, (laughs) uh, Fabian and uh, really wonderful Diane, who should really be on. And this is, Diane is uh, Fabian's wife. And, you know, how do you, you know, you started off the episode saying, look, we got $100,000. You, have everyone, you know, if you've traveled or gone to vacation just within the US, you know, that doesn't take you a lot. If you looked at how many people were able to travel on that funding alone because of this frugality of Fabian, I remember him saying, Judy, the tickets are going up. And I looked on and it's like, it's $20. I'm like, Fabian, why are you stressing me about this? And And it's just this passion and vision. And also realizing that Fabian still then was a resident and now is an attending, and, and we can't just let those things uh, stand by. They, they're really the pillars that have made us to be in a place where we can even learn and redo things a little better as we are doing now. Well put.
0: Yeah.
4: And it,
3: it's, um, I don't know that I can add any more to, you know, what was exactly said. But, you know, if you get to start a training program from scratch, right? And you get to experience all the things from the U.S. programs. You know, you have to start thinking, what are some of the best of the things and what are some of the things that we really need to uh, avoid, right? And you are giving yourself also some of that grace to be able to make some of the mistakes. Because let's be honest, like who would know in Tanzania if this is not the way it should go, right? We're doing everything from scratch. And the benefit, you know, Dr. Isabel, from having some of the best lecturers, you know, the best lecturers in the world. Like I could give a lecture on, you know, whatever it is, but I would be looking it up and making it. But what we were able to do is to get the best of everyone in the world to come to Tanzania and, and teach their specialty to those people. It's like the most amazing faculty ever, you know, to be able to do that. And it's not just, um, you know, can you come in the passion of Fabian and the, the passion of the trainees that's there. I want to point out one of the earlier attendings that traveled was Dr. David Prologo. And Dr. Pologo had not even had a passport. He had not left the United States for anything. Not even for, you know, putting his his toes in the sandy beaches in Jamaica. He just had never left the United States.
4: one goes to Jamaica.
3: Well, <laughs> we will, j- wherever, you know, he should go to Jamaica. It's a piece of heaven. But um, I, I digress. If you could think about, you know, what it would it take for someone to overcome their fear of traveling? Would take just one thing and is an ask from a friend and a love for patients so much that would make someone go apply for a passport to fly halfway around the world in a different continent, in a country to say that they could contribute and do anything, uh, not because they wanted to go and treat one patient who had pelvic pain, but because he also bought into this idea that you can actually train people who would help many more people who would have pelvic pain so that I won't have to make this trip again that is um unbelievable
2: thank you for telling that story because uh, i remember when you you told it to me it was so fascinating and and i do think that mm-hmm. it is um kind of the magic mix right you have people with um passion people with vision but they also have to be doers they can't just be imaginers they have to be doers so you know, Dr. Prologo going out and getting his passport, um, you know, Dr. Newsom, you, you know, picking up the phone and calling in the troops. Um, Fabian, your bravado to at your stage of training to be like, yeah, this is totally doable. Maybe it was just the ignorance of the youth. Yeah. Um, but and then and then Judy, I you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about your experience because, um, you know, you were telling me how you volunteered for a Road to IR during one of the most daunting times, like the mm-hmm. thick of the COVID pandemic. Mm. Um, can you tell us about that experience? And then maybe, you know, um, Janice, you, you can speak up and kind of pepper that story as, <laughs> as appropriate.
4: Yeah, so, um, you know, when I introduce myself, I say that I came uh, to Emory and I work for Janice. And the reason she keeps me really, except today when I don't have to help her with the IT problems. I but know, you had I know. her. You had her shame me about her laptop is uh, <laughs> as an extra hand. But, you know, this is just during COVID, as uh, most of us remember, it was really, I think, IR specifically evolved to to do many, many things, not just because of being abroad, but also, you know, institutions, rethinking how to make produce, procedures safe, rethinking how to make our staff safe. when. Quite a lot of diagnostic uh, radiologists actually were able to read from home. The technologists were in the hospital and re- leaned on IR, you know, as, as always being the last stop. And in one of the days, we our way of decompressing was really to take these walks on our campus and around the parks where we live. And You know, it was a weekend, and we were just talking. And Janice was really uh, sad, which is very hard to to recognize. Don't worry, Doctor Newsome, I'm not gonna shame you. It's okay, audio. It's okay, (laughs) and and, you know, and she just came from her usual weekends. I think Fabian uh, knows this. Every weekend, there's a big, big meeting about Road to IR, and uh, she was really sad. And she said, "Look, uh, our program is going to get shut down, and this is because." Uh, because Tanzania was not recognising the you know COVID pandemic, and so was you know if you don't recognise something, then uh, it's difficult to say that people understand why people cannot travel when you don't have COVID, you know. And so you know, a program at that point was going was in jeopardy, and uh, one of our trainees uh, who was not a Tanzanian resident uh, was actually out of the country, and so there was a lot of desperation. Long story short. Janice was very sad and wondering what to do. And I said, you know, it's home. I can go. This was before any testing, before any vaccines. And uh, that was my first trip uh, on road to IR for two weeks. And it was an amazing time. And uh, as you know, there are many, many stories from that visit. (laughs) But I would like to say that, I, I mean, even when we came back for the oral exam study, I was, we came to graduate, which was my second visit. Uh, There was a lot of magic just because the the people who had come and just rekindled that, okay, figuring out how it could be safe for people to travel. It was just a fantastic meetup. Yeah, I mean, and and, and we can uh,
3: say that now in that it was successful, but it was very risky, right? So the university banned travel. There was no way to get anyone there. Poor Fabian is having a little PTSD for those moments, right? When we were having, you know, just these calls and uh, not sure what was going to happen. Ivan, Eric and Aza were pretty sad because uh, everything else was happening as usual in the university, right? But our, our program, our training program is dependent on these visiting teams. And I remember just saying, you know, this friendship is born in adversity. And this is an adverse time. And how do we get our friends from all around the world now to to jump in? And uh, Dr. Gichoya said, without even thinking about it, oh, I'll, I'll go. It's home. Okay, remember, there's no vaccine. We have a travel ban. And you'll find out that Fabian here runs a very tight ship that he's virtually at every visit in picture form, right? So as soon as you land, you got to send a picture. As soon as you, know, as soon as you get to the, you got to send a picture, you got it, right? So then we had to come up with a strategy of how do we have Judy get there, but no pictures, right? There cannot be it, just an internal control. And knowing Dr. Isabel that, you know, at any moment, you know, at least from the university side, things could be tough, right? So then Dr. Gachoya would go, but who would be next? And, you know, we just had to call on, again, that friendship. And I remember the second call that I made, and you'll hear people talk about uh, Ian Wilson. I think they call him the area code now of uh, Tanzania. I picked up the phone and said, who is not affected by COVID and, uh, or traveled? These restrictions are not as, Difficult in our private practice world, in the people that own their practices, OBLs and ASCs. And I called Ian. I said, you know, look, I need you, my friend, to go to Tanzania to help us to bridge this program. And, uh, you know, funny story, he'll tell it. He's like, sis, I'm there. I want to let you know that I'm talking to you from the prone position. Because uh, Ian actually had COVID right when I was asking him to travel. And, you know, one way to look at that would to say, well, I have COVID now and I don't think I could travel. But he saw that as his opportunity. He's like, great, I'm next. I already have COVID. What can happen to me? You know, like sign me up. And sure enough, um, I think Ian has gone back many, many times, probably not as many times as Fabian, but you know that deposit that was made. Dr. Senika from South Africa. He that he says, sign me up. I'm there. Like we got our friends that could travel. You know from from Europe. You know, sign me up. I'm there. So I I would say that the adversity actually made our program richer. It made our program stronger. It actually even allowed our trainees to see where they were now starting to. Um, needing to act as attendings quicker. Just the same things that were happening in the US, right? Where, you know, all of a sudden people were like, okay, you know, like you can put central lines, you don't need supervision, you can do that kind of thing. Um, so we had an acceleration of responsibility of people recognizing their skills. And all the time, a, a, a yes, it was a Rolodex of people, friends that you knew who could come in this time, I know that Fabian himself was keeping the ship uh, of the trainees together. And what do I mean by that? Like, I'm making these plans with my friends and attendings, you know, to, to get there. Fabian is making sure that people could go. But there are the subtle things about what was happening to the mental health of our um, people on the ground, not just the physicians, but the techs and nurses that had given up so much to do that. And here is where peer mentorship is supreme, right? Like they would tell Fabian things that I would never hear because they saw him as their resident. They were both residents in the, in, you know. So resident to resident conversation uh, was helpful. And I think when uh, Dr. Gachoya was able to go and uh, speak a little Swahili, like she also was able to pick up on a few things that we couldn't get from a, from abroad. So it wasn't just that we wanted to make sure that they were being taught what was in the curriculum. It was this support of the emotional distress when you have to now train in a place where the rest of the world thinks something is happening, right, and there it's no recognition. Like we couldn't even say the word COVID on our calls, right? We are all wearing N95s and they're like, you know, what are we doing there? Um, We were like covertly telling them, take the temperature of people um, who are your patients. Make sure you're not doing elective cases on COVID. Remember those days, Fabian? I mean, it, it seems a little laughable like right now, you know, write a list down. And they're also doing the reverse, Dr. Newton, like telling us the state of covid in a different way, because we also got some upfront, close experiences of what happens when COVID is not recognized somewhere, right? So I didn't need to to figure out what would happen in my hospital if we didn't wear masks and stuff. Like I got a chance to see that right there, right?
2: Yeah, and that and this came from the leadership of of, of the country, right? The the president didn't recognize COVID. Can can you just mention what that was? And Fabian, that's you.
1: Yeah, I mean like like Denise was saying I mean it was just like a tough you know th- there was just a big gap in how COVID was handled in in different countries right we we know that very much you know sort of from you know Canada on the you know probably the strictest end to you know US somewhere in the middle and then to Tanzania where you know really it wasn't even a topic um so sort of to make that uh make that work was was really difficult and uh yeah, we, we, had some, we had some tough times, but I think what, what united all of us was that we knew that the need is just so severe and we were just in the first year of the official training program, essentially, or a second year, and there was no way that we could stop at that point because we needed to get that first class to graduation because we knew if we, if we don't do that, then the whole thing is just going to fall apart. And, uh, you know, of course, I mean, were we concerned about COVID? Obviously. But we also knew that so many IR procedures can just save lives. And that's a guarantee. And, you know, could someone travel and get COVID and, you know, potentially be in trouble? Yes. And we made very clear with everyone traveling that they have to be aware of that. And, and those were really tough times. And I'm really incredibly thankful for, for all the people that were mentioned that came through in those, in those tough days. Ian, Charles, Judy, it was really, um, yeah. really incredible. And, and that then really established the belief that, that we can pull through. And then from there was just took off.
2: Oh, rocket ship. Absolutely. You know, for me, the, the story of Rot-IR, um, one of the reasons why it's so deeply compelling is it recapitulates the story of IR in general. IR is a story of resourcefulness, of courage, of community. And you guys have taken that to such a level that you remind us how it's done right. And you remind us, you inspire me of why I went into this. And, you know, if I encounter some kind of roadblock as I do, um, I work in in government, um, how that's a small thing. And we are built to overcome these things. So you have done it so beautifully. And um, Janice, Dr. Newsom, and, I, and I, I want to mention, I did ask permission to call everyone by their first name at the beginning. You have served as program director for this training program. Can you give us a sense of its current status and, and where it's going? Oh, that's me. So, you know, all the things
3: you've said on my CV, besides being a, a mom and a wife, I think that serving in that capacity Um, as the program director at MUHAS is one of my, you know, highest achievements. And what that means to me is, you know, clearly we could decide that we are going to just do procedures, but you've heard that how we had to actually put a formal training program in place. And no matter how much you want to just say that you're going to do a fellowship program, if you're doing it correctly, as uh, Fabian, Frank, and myself had set this up at the very beginning, it involves the university and it's a degree program in the university. So although it may seem to people that are going there that they're just doing procedures, there's an actual curriculum that is being followed that is a gradual curriculum of starting to do things and not just for the physicians that are being trained that they eventually have to pass written tests and oral test, um, you know, in stages, and then a formal oral exam, kind of the way we do our IR oral boards there, you know, that requires some administrative uh, work. I'm not, even though on paper I'm the program director, I could tell you that the work of being the program director of a program miles and miles away involves a lot of folks, right? So the making of the exam is... You know, Fabian, Judy, Fabian asking lots of uh, friends, looking at the exams. Our first year, the exams were all written, uh, collected, collated, uh, the, even during COVID when they needed to have their oral exams. We had oral exams via Zoom. Uh, we had board preparation exams uh, via Zoom with Dr. Paul Sohaki at Duke, doing the lion's share of preparing the trainees uh, for that. Um, The second year, we were able to graduate to an electronic platform or the second class in the the electronic platform. And here is where Dr. Gachoya is going to chime in and says, you know, what does Dr. Newsom know about IT at all? And I remember both her and Fabian, they're trying to help with, you know, the columns where things go, what, you know, what. all the IT portions of trying to put both a written exam together and an oral exam together. And I'm proud today to say that a part of our program, which is the capacity building and sustainability, isn't that we were going to remain in this role. And Dr. Uh, Baloa, who graduated last year, is already a employee, I would say employee of the university, a professor. At the, at uh, Muhas. And uh, this is just how funny things go. And I'll just leave Fabian to talk about, you know, who that wonderful individual is, uh, that now we're transitioning from me being the program director. Like, who would think that, that by next year, Dr. Baloa will be fully the program director at Muhas? for a program that he graduated uh, from and all of us will continue to serve in a formal advisory role uh, there. I mean, certainly as it relates to the oral exam or the board's exam at the end, we will still have our you know international faculty uh,
2: come in to do the oral exam, but I'm, I'm, I'm just super proud of that. And so you kind of alluded to this, but how then has the role of the visiting teams of IR clinicians, nurses, and techs evolved as Road to IR has matured and this program, the training program, has matured?
1: Well, I mean, obviously in, in the beginning, nobody there had done any IR. So I, I very well remember the, the very first IR procedure we did was uh, Dr. Douglas Sillin, who's my uh, program director at Yale. And uh, it was a biliary drain. And to even just get the, the case started took several hours. We had to look for an oxygen uh, probe. We had to look for a blood pressure cuff. <laughs> we had to uh, actually kind of build the table because it was just a regular floor table. We had to find a little ladder and like a, a board to extend the table. So it, it was, you know, it, it was a lot. But now we're at a point where someone like myself as a junior tenant, can just go there now and doesn't even have to scrub in because we have our Tanzanian faculty who are amazing. And now visiting faculty go and they just scrub in when there's really a little trick they want to show or like something to help out. But the program is essentially independent now and it's it's so amazing to see Aza and Eric and Baloa. Now supervising the next classes of of trainees, and that's that's exactly what we wanted
2: so the role then is more um to facilitate more complex procedures and yes. also teaching right yes while while they're while they're there yes, yes
4: yeah and increasingly to support the people who've left right yes. so there are new people who've left to from our program who are in other places to support those uh, new attendings. Exactly. Uh, some in Tanzania and some outside of Tanzania,
3: right? So to, to think about that, you know, you've graduated now from its inception, a total of, uh, of 10 graduates from zero to 10, right? In the, this short of time, some of them were remaining uh, as faculty at the university to continue on in a formal, what we would call an academic center uh, place and some who are in more of a private practice type setting, right? They don't have trainees there, but still uh, doing IR. Um, one who is uh, at a cancer center, dedicated uh, cancer center, and of course, some that are outside of the country. And just in case this doesn't get mentioned anywhere, I, I want to talk about, you know, just the diversity of the class, because it is intentional. And if you want to get something different, you have to do something a little bit different. And so in our first class, we were able to graduate the first uh, uh, female, woman, interventional radiologist in, in Tanzania, obviously, a- Aza, who is, like, amazing. And three of us on this call are women in IR, women in medicine, in a, in a place like the United States where there's much more freedom and things that we don't think we have to overcome. So I wanna just you know, plant this now in a different place, a culture of being this first woman, interventional radiologist in the country that never saw that before, in a culture that is a little bit different, right? So we uh, applaud as a, uh, so much, so as is a part of the first class. In the second class, we graduated two women, uh, Latifa and Fonzi. Fonzi is back in Nigeria and Latifa is uh, there now. And uh, in the third class, we have Morvana, right? Another woman. And in, in, the, in the fourth class here, we also have a, a woman who's from Nigeria. So it is important that we are planting the things that we know are also important, right? That women are counted and that we're training people that are also able to go back to other parts of Eastern Africa because this is the road to IR, right? Roads evolve. And like I say, with all other roads, right? They're bumpy roads. There are sometimes that you get to the what would seem to be the end of the road and you just have to decide are you going left or right and uh, there are many times on this road that we just had to build the rest of the road as we're going. right? <laughs> but no matter what, who walks with you on this road is crucial. And I'm reminded of the African proverb that says that if you want to go fast, no, say Judy. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. If you want to You're go speaking too fast, much to you, okay, so I'm going to stop no, 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 I'm going to stop no, I want to hear it. She's going to edit it. it
1: out. You no, know, this is not going to be no, on the thing. We're, we're going to edit either. it out, right?
2: No, this is going to be voiceover. Please
1: tell right. me the African if, if, proverb. Yeah,
3: it says that if you want to go um, fast, you go can alone. Uh, go alone. But if you want to go far, you must go together. And this is the road of going far. Not fast. That this is a road that is being built to go far, and and it is because of that as our central core that we know that it requires this collaboration. And with this collaboration is intentional diversity.
1: And, and I, I'm that, so glad that you no mentioned that. No hallelujahs, by the way. And, and I mean, I just want to <laughs> add here. It's like to me, there's nothing more exciting than than getting messages from. Now, northern Tanzania, where we have Ziat in in Mwanza, saying he just did his first pick. Yes. he just did his first nephrostomy, and yes. you know, it's just there's nothing better than that. Or or Fonzi mes- messaging from Nigeria, yeah, she just did her first nephrostomy. She did her first abscess drainage. It's really uh, it, it gives me such uh, happiness, and it's so so exciting to see. And and as as Janice was saying, now the the idea is really to also support those trainees that graduated from the program that now have the task of by themselves, in some cases, really building training programs or IR services uh, from the ground up. So, you know, it, it all starts over basically from scratch, but not quite from scratch because now there's a big family that, that tries to support them. And, and we're hoping that all of these uh, programs will grow into training programs of their own and, and generate even more intervention radiologists.
3: I was raising my hand because I know that we're talking about these sometimes as just single procedures. But uh, Dr. Isabel, when you go, you'll see that um, attached to every one of these, and I know you know this, are just the incredible stories of the patients for which a pick is required or for which an abscess drain is required, and the Lazarus procedure of just placement of a nephrostomy tube. And how mm-hmm. a simple thing, as we would call it, done every day, several times a day in the Emory system, um, you know that h- how a nephrostomy tube is able to actually save someone's life, like literally. And so, yes, when when Fabian says, "Oh, you know," it brings him such joy to to get this text. Um, you know, it's not that it's the it's the joy of the pick, right? It's the Patient story that goes beyond that and the life, not just sometimes of the patient, but of a whole family that is made different because yeah. of a small thing that we would I mean, do.
2: I, th- I think that's the magic of IR, right? That's what compels us. you know um, that's what I hear Judy when you talk come through your voice, like you just light up, you know, when we were um, talking in, in Atlanta and you were telling these stories and you talk. And I watched you work. I mean, it's the passion I hear in Fabian, where we have to tell him to back away from the mic because he keeps leaning in because he wants to just see it, eat it up. And 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 Janice, where you know everybody's you know telling you that you were talking too much, and I'm like, talk more because it, it, this magic is because um, we have the benefit to be in a field that we are still in love with. You know, it's like a marriage where you know we're, we're not we're not in this this phase where we're kind of. Sleeping in separate beds and don't want to, you know, engage. You know, we're passionately in love with IR, and and it comes through. And and you guys, you've done so many things right. You've collected data. You've published. Um, you've formed this vibrant and engaging community that blows up my WhatsApp every day. You know, you've sought to support um, uh, the support of grants and of industry. And you know, as practicing IRs, many people might wonder how you have the time to do all of this work. So. You know, I, you know I, I think there are going to be, be people listening who might want to emulate you. I hope they do. So I want to ask, do you have protected time or is it like me and the I.I., is this your passion project? Well, it's actually a
4: really difficult thing to uh, answer just because of how we are paid. Most of us have to use uh, their vacation time to participate. And maybe this is one of our biggest uh, sort of next big step about sustainability and making sure we don't lapse into mission work. We know quite a lot of people actually do pay for their flights and, you know, their expenses and, you know, would say that they would do it again. We've also been lucky also to get support of many industry partners too. And I would say that it's just so refilling, you know, like this one week you spend there or two weeks is, I mean, it tops up your tank. And so if this is something not because you're going to save Africa, I, I know that I'm notorious for posting some of those videos, but it, it it really is for you too when you go and you just have this uh, amazing time and making an impact, but the impact here is tangible because uh, just like Dr. Newsom said, every story, every, every patient, every procedure that you do has this story that there are not so many people trying to get the patient to you. You're, you're taking care of that. And that, I think, just brings up a lot of reward. If you're that type of person, then you're of the IR tribe and you will absolutely <laughs> enjoy it. So, you know, it's, a, it's really a call you know, to the academic institutions. As you know, most IRs, even in the university, are, you know, bypassed when it comes to promotion to specific jobs because the way departments make money is for you to be practicing IR and for you to be practicing IR in the U.S., taking care of patients doing my 90s. But we, uh, as a specialty, are so restless and we want these amazing procedures that we do to be available for everyone. And so we make a way and uh, we've seen that we can make a way. And hopefully as we think about the next phase and as we start new programs and learn from our mistakes, we don't want Fabian to be uh, booking tickets through the whole night. We want to make sure that we create a safe environment that is sustainable, uh, that is really driven by the needs of the local patients and the local attending there who say this is what we need support with and uh for us to evolve how to make sure that that is sustainable yeah so timing is a is a lot and fabian will make
3: that word because when he was a a resident i bet he thought oh i can take off all the time and i can go anytime i want right but as an attending yeah, things are different so you're right uh, over the last few years i have used my vacation you know wisely i would say And Dr. Newton, you'll see when you go and anyone who hears this that is gone, whether they're a nurse, a tech, a medical student or faculty, they know that they leave feeling that they gained way more than they gave. And it is this I know counts in a part of my wellness package for myself, right? Right that yes i'm going to do the oral exam but i know that when i'm when i'm on my way back this deeper appreciation for this magic of interventional radiology this magic of modern medicine what i call better medicine that we sometimes just like lose it as you say in the mundane type of day-to-day work but if you actually got to a place where you someone says wow you're doing a pick I can't wait to watch <laughs> you do that, you know. Um, you know, or I can't believe that you know you think that you're you actually are talking to you know eight people in a room, and you turn around and there are like eighty people in a room, and that type of uh, environment just reinvigorates you. It reminds you why you chose medicine to begin with. I love when I see even the medical students that are coming from the U.S. And they interact with the students there. And I I I want to plug this in. And I know that you will be able to, Dr. Isabel, say this, you know, much better in the film. And is that we work hard. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. But we also play hard. And there's no doubt about it. (laughs) Okay. So if you go, you'll see that we have built that in as well, that the type of things that exhaust us in the United States, it's not the day-to-day work, it's not the things that bring the passion that uh, you're hearing in our voice, the exhaustion from the US experience, or you know, it's from some of the other things that just is not there. And 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 that's how you're able to do it without dedicated time, without pay, you'll find a way. Fabian?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, as was said, I mean, when we started this, I was just a resident and uh, I had some time on my hands. I was actually expecting when I become faculty, I'm going to have much more time, even though people told me that's not the case. And indeed, uh, people were right. So I don't know uh, how it happens. But yeah, uh, finding time now is, is much more difficult than than when I was a resident. And it's really only possible because of the, the big community that we have now. So there's so many people doing different aspects of this. You know, logistics is one part where where I'm most involved. But then, you know, we have Janice leading the the uh, the actual educational portion. We have Jessica who's helping with coordinating equipment shipments. We, of course, have have all of the now faculty in Tanzania now taking over a lot of the aspects that you know were handled by by myself or by Janice in the beginning. So it's really uh, just about teamwork and about communication. And, and yep. that's, VJ, I think... VJ, v- VJ. VJ le- leading the research portion. I mean, there's so many aspects of it, and uh, you know, there are really too many people to mention, but it's really about communicating and about trying to help out where we can. And we all have limited time, but we try to invest it as, as best as we can.
2: That's really great. And, and I think, um, you know to um, Janice's point, when you fill your plate... And it may be a full plate, but when you fill it with things that give you joy, that inspire you, you may be full at the end, but you're happy. (laughs) You know, when you fill it with a bunch of things that are unpalatable, that you don't like to eat, even one of those things can make you nauseated. So all of us, I think, are common denominator is the fact that we all fill our plate very, very full, but it's stuff that we really want to delve into. I'd like to kind of shift and say, you know, a lack of access to healthcare is particularly salient in East Africa where resources are scarce. But there are regions of our own country and groups of Americans and uh, residents who lack access to IR procedures. So, what do you think we can take away from this experience to help bridge this gap back home?
4: I would say that this concept of reverse innovation is really uh, what we can learn what's worked there and uh, how to do it better here. I think uh, one of the things that we've done is uh, rethinking about the uh, simulation and how to remotely support people when they're away. Mm -hmm. So I know that Dr. Newsom had to part with her camera, you know, at some point so that, and also understanding how do you explain to the local uh, administrators, the the patients, right, that they're not being watched. And especially, you know, everyone is very cautious, you know, when you're seeing You're talking about you're, a VR camera, right? But, yeah. we, we've, we've gone, there are some VR cameras that we don't use the what most much. What camera are just, you talking even, about? just a 2D camera that oh, allows okay. a, a wide span of the room and figuring out logistically how to do that. At Emory, we do uh, invest quite a lot in this telesupport of, pro, of, of cases. I, I know every one of us has emailed a case to a colleague to get feedback on. So that's been one of the things. The second one, myself and Dr. Newsom, are just about to go to Rwanda, is rethinking how to support the IT infrastructure to be able to do uh, research, to also be able to have longitudinal patient follow-up. And so uh, I would say that it's, it's really, you know, we've lacked in terms of uh, the burden of administrators, which I think is a, a big issue here in the U.S. You have a bloated service that, you know the of people who are not really helping you take care of patients, but uh back sort of in tanzania what we've what we've we've picked sort of like what are the best things and avoided some of the things like tough wars, which is a big issue about uh care where there's not enough people who can provide access and trying to protect your tough, which we know is a big issue here, and also trying to do this phased approach, I can tell you that our first stories, which you remember bit saying this was. You have to be so careful about when you're introducing a new program, how to build, a, a, you know, a service line and how to make sure that you're not getting into trouble, which is what we teach our residents every day when you get started as an attending, you know, being realistic. And we've had the, you know, Dr. Prologo and his mandate there was just to teach access. You know, this is one of the world's uh, best pain experts who could do amazing things, but what was required is to teach access at that point when he was there. And so having this uh, dynamic understanding and embracing, and this is a very biased, uh, you know, of course, suggestion, embracing technology to make our lives a little easier, I think is one of the bigger takeaways uh, that we can see. So I think of the, you know, what you're talking about, this global and
3: global aspect, Right. Um, this terminology that I I didn't really like at all. And now I find myself saying it quite a bit because it is what people, um, ask us often is, you know, all this energy that you guys spend trying to put together a training program, you know, to bring IR and access in, in Africa when down the street, you know, that, that is not there. What about that? And I'd say that my passion is exactly the same is that if you believe that interventional radiology improves health and saves anyone's life, then you wouldn't just want to do it at Yale and you wouldn't just want to do it in California, right? You'd want to do it everywhere. It's like the gospel of medicine in a sense, right? This is the good news that better medicine has arrived and you can actually prevent your patients from having. Uh, the burden of anesthesia, which is sometimes in and of itself the death penalty for some procedures where, where it's been done. So it is that, how do you spread the good news, the gospel? I'm. This is uh, Easter time in the U.S. Judy, do not say hallelujah. See her. She's getting ready to say that. But as <laughs> you are thinking of, uh, you know, this this is our code word for Newsom, you're talking too much, you know. Um <laughs> <laughs> is that e- even if you just think about how that is spread? Is that sometimes you know the prophet is not welcome in their own home, right? But you still have to spread this good news because it is not he who brings the good news. The news itself is good, right? We're just privileged to bring the good news, and if you're if it's not as welcomed down the street, you will go take a a ship, as it says in the Bible that Paul took a ship and was shipwrecked, uh, bringing the gospel to different parts of the world, you know, Uh, translate that Judy, I see you laughing. You know that. I can see you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> baby. But I don't have any other... Exp- I don't know how else to to explain no, it. No, I, l- I love but it. But the truth is, Isabel, is that our passion is the same. We would do this down the street in Bakersfield, California, in Cardosville. I'm making up these names, by the way. Georgia or wherever it is that, that this is needed, we would still do it. But uh, nothing is more rewarding um, even in your own home than your children that are so grateful for this box toy that you give versus one that says, oh, really, this little box toy? You know, it's two ways that this uh, goes, but we are not going to stop um, wherever interventional radiology is needed or a minimal invasive procedure. And I don't like seeing the word interventional radiology because it's not about our specialty, right? Whoever does this. If you are a pulmonologist and, you know, I'd like for it to remain in the house of IR, but, you know, it takes a village. There's no shortage of people that need image guided procedures. Like Mm -hmm. we are here to put the structure in so that we can assure the quality so that when someone says that they're doing this to a population of people that they're safe, And that I would allow that to happen to me. So you can't just say that, oh, I did this weekend course and I could could do this. If whatever this Road to IR consortium can do to provide a structure of training and support to bring these services to anywhere that it is needed,
4: uh, we would do it. It's really the (laughs) words of Desmond Tutu. He said that when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. And so uh, my always north is to really uh, be very conscientious, to listen to the the doctors who are on the ground and what they think they are and not, uh, let's say, Tanzania mentality. And I have to say that just by extension, I saw this in this recent Ebola outbreak, when the local Tanzanian attendings were trying to prepare the new program in Uganda. And, you know, still going back to the same COVID restrictions and wondering, how do we protect the faculty from the US? And they said, we're fine, bring the Ugandan team. And that to me was just a big big turnaround points showing that you know the mission is there and uh, you know we've 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 made
2: our impact. both of you are just so that that was so beautifully um stated Fabian, would you like to follow that up with any rich comment?
1: no, but just coming back to a question like what can we learn from from there? I think it's really having an open mind and open heart and reaching out to patients and to physicians. And that's something that there it was so obvious because there was no IR. So obviously we had to go talk to the surgeons, talk to the nephrologist, talk to the emergency physicians, explain to them really what is IR, what can we add? Same thing with reaching out to patients and saying we can do uterine fibroid embolization through the wrist. You don't need to have an open surgery. You don't need to have a hysterectomy. The same thing here, like we kind of assume because we went through all the training that everyone should know what Irs. At least every doctor should know what Irs. But this is not the case, right? So we really need to do more outreach to the community. We need to tell patients what we can do. We need to explain to other physicians what we can do because we can really add so much, and it's really a, a lost opportunity if patients and, and other physicians don't know about our capacities.
2: That's so well spoken. Amen. Yeah, and really, really un- That's a
4: rich <laughs> comment, Fabia. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and I think it really underscores why the collaboration between the Interventional Initiative and a Road IR is so natural. You know, um, we both... Value improving access to minimally invasive image guided procedures, which, um, as uh, Dr. Newsom said, um, we are agnostic. It's not just about IR, it's about um, minimally um, invasive, which means we get patients back to their normal lives faster with less morbidity, less mortality. Uh, we, we keep them whole, right? And that's what life is about. It's not about being sick, it's about living your life. And, and that's what the magic of IR is we, we enable patients to do that. So, I'm really grateful to all of you for this really amazing opportunity to speak with you. Um, My colleagues in the Interventional Initiative and I are very much looking forward to our first trip to Tanzania in May. We at the II are grateful to Boston Scientific and to Varian for significant grant funding that will support our filming of Without a Scalpel, um, which will at least be episode five, but may actually be a feature-length documentary. Uh, we're also uh, grateful to Docs for supporting our travel, and they've been supporting the travel, I think, for a lot of these yes. um, docs who are going to, um, you know, to Tanzania and to East Africa. And we just hope this is just the beginning of an enduring collaboration between the II and Road to IR. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank um, Backtable for their collaboration. We. Are huge fans, and um, we think you're doing a, a great service to our field. Um, and thanks for this chance to uh, touch base with the Rotiir team, or, or at least a part of them, and find out all the exciting things that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Newton. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at, at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza,
2: and Ali Behetti.
0: Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhirter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and Digital Marketing, led by Brian Schmitz. Article and Transcript, support by Taylor Robinson.
2: And Delaney Aguilar. Social Media and PR by Anne Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim lui
0: Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening.